My Life Now is a half-hour podcast show which regularly features reviews of new releases and all-time classics of both traditionally published and self-published books. Tune in for special guest interviews and, of course, helpful tips to not only write your next book, but also to help market it. My Life Now is most often referred to as a great way for authors to get quality exposure and avid readers to discover their next read. Without further delay, here's another stimulating episode of My Life Now. Hello, guys. Welcome to another episode of My Life Now. Um, Today, we have the honor of having Richard and Kelly with us, the authors of... um, of Lucy and the Lake Monster. It's going to be a great book. We're excited to tell you about um, the ins and outs of it. Um, just uh, listen in. Guys, um, Richard, Kelly, would y'all like to introduce yourself? Let us know where you come from, how you uh, came up with the ideas for this book. Ladies okay. first. Okay, I am Kelly. And last name Tabor. I grew up in Crown Point, New York, right on the shores of Lake Champlain. Uh, where the Lake Champlain monster is said to be. And so I went down south and I taught school in South Carolina for 32 years, elementary school. And I've just retired. And Richard has asked me to work with him and write with him and and do a movie series. And so here we are. We're excited. Nice. Richard? Um, yes, see, true. I just became a grandfather for the first time. And... Um, I was thinking I wanted to do something for kids and I I'm an actor in Los Angeles. I had had an acting job playing the part of a, of a minister named Reverend Charles Dotson. And he wrote the children's stories, Alice in Wonderland under a pen named Lewis Carroll. And I, I was researching my character and found how interesting it was that that God led him to create these stories and he was partially inspired by the assistant pastor at the church he wor- where he worked, had a young girl named Alice. And she would always say, tell me a story, tell me a story. Yeah. And he would just kind of make up stories about Alice going on adventures. And she's like, write it down, write it down. So I was thinking, you know, I'd like to do something like that, a ministry to kids, uh, some sort of children's story. And then I had a health crisis where I almost died. And God brought me through thanks to a very anointed and beautiful doctor who who not only was the best surgeon, but also was praying through the whole surgery, Dr. Julio. And so, you know, I was facing death right in the face and kind of thinking about bucket lists. What do I want to do? And I thought, you know, it's been in the back of my mind ever since I played that part of the minister who wrote Alice in Wonderland to do a kid's story. And I remember Kelly and I have been friends 40 years and She's been one of the greatest public school teachers in in, in history, the best public school teacher on God's green earth. She's won like Teacher of the Year awards, which she gets mad at me for saying it. But that sounds like bragging. But the proverb said, let another man's lips praise thee and not thine own. But one of the reasons she was such a great teacher is she would tell kids these stories. And, And one of the stories they loved her to tell was when she was a little girl at this lake looking for Champ, the sea serpent. And so I told her, I said, I think this could be a really good kid's story. We could write it together. And so we wrote the book version. This is the, the hard copy, and we got the paperback. And um, this is Champ, the plesiosaur, the plush toy of Champ. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so um, that's how it got started. For me, it was those, those three events of becoming a grandparent and wanting to do something for kids and then playing the part of that writer gave me the idea and then come the Lord delivering me and healing me and coming through a big health crisis. I thought, well, God's given me more time. Maybe it's time now to do that, that children's story. What a blessing, Richard. I was just um, scrolling through Netflix, I think a couple of days ago and there's just so much filth and I'm like, man, I just want to watch something wholesome. <laughs> you know, yeah. it's, it's great yeah. that, um, that that selection is um, being expanded in this world yeah yeah in fact here's a hand-painted cup that says home of champ port henry that's where yeah yeah i was thinking the same thing like we need more wholesome movies with positive values for kids because when i was a little boy there was there was always like a new what they used to call a g-rated movie which was basically saying it's safe for kids Mm -hmm. and 
almost it was always a new g-rated movie at the movie theater you know a lot of them were like these classic disney films and things but um i was kind of shocked i mean i i thought there'd still be some but what shocked me e trill was i read when's the last g-rated movie and they haven't even been putting out for years g-rated movies like they haven't even been putting them out you know a film that is so like even with a kid's film it's like they got to sneak something in there to uh i think i guess they think it's cool or something but this is a movie that you know it's it's just going to impact people's hearts and inspire a lot of children i think amen um was it a was it a specific event or a an accumulation of experiences that allowed you to um, come up with the idea for this book. Kelly, I'll let you answer this because I think I already might have hinted at that because I mentioned my, my events in my life, my surgery and my playing uh, Lewis Carroll and also becoming a grandparent. But how about you? What what inspired or let, what what are you drawing in the writing, Kelly? Because I kind of already answered that. OK, well, when I when I was growing up, of course, there were a lot of stories around town and neighboring towns of people who actually have seen Champ. And so all those stories were whirling around. And a lot of the stories that I told my students over the years were real stories that really happened to people. I had an uncle who lived um, on the lake and he was working on his cabin roof one, one day and it came up. And I had another uncle who had a restaurant in Bo on Boaga Bay and it was a uh, known as Captain Bly's Restaurant. And a lot of people went there and he used to have binoculars sitting on the tables for people to look out and see Champ. And there were a lot of sightings from there, but there were lots, lots of uh, jokes too along the way because at these restaurants, there were also bars too. And so some people had had things to drink. So a lot of people said they'd seen him, which they had. And then some people had seen him and people were like, yeah, really? How much have you, <laughs> how much have you had to drink? Did you really see him or was it your imagination? And so, you know, there were a lot of stories like that. And there were kids on the beach. I was a swimming instructor one summer on one of the beaches. And I remember um, uh, our trip had been canceled that day for some reason. And there was another uh, school that had been at the beach that day. And they had to evacuate because it had come it had surfaced somewhere in along the ropes. And I thought, great, the day that I wasn't there. So, you know, I had stories to tell my students of things that really happened. And when this was a fourth grade classroom, I taught third grade too and second and first, but mostly fourth grade. And that's around nine and 10 years old. So when you're around those ages, like anything like that, the kids are so excited. Anything related to zoology or dinosaurs or anything like that, they're very excited and on the edge of their seats. So they were really surprised because down in South Carolina, a lot of them had not heard of Lake Champlain. And so I would tell them stories of my upbringing and things that I experienced. And they were really excited about it. In fact, they wanted me to write. They used to say, you need to write these stories down. These are great. And and I just never could as a teacher. I was just so caught up in the teacher world, teaching students, doing lesson plans, uh, planning, grading papers, and you know all the things that come along with being a teacher. There, I didn't really have the time that I needed to sit down and write some of the stories that I did. I did teach writing. I taught all subjects. And so a lot of times, Steve, I would have I'd had to introduce some type of writing. And so I would give an example on the board, a Promethean board, um, some samples, and then to kind of give an uh, idea of uh, creative ways that kids could write. And so they loved writing too. And so I used some of these stories as a springboard, you know, for writing in my classroom as well. And when I told Richard about these stories, what I used to do with the kids and um, most of my time, I, I taught at Paris Elementary in Greenville, South Carolina. Shout out to Paris. <laughs> the kids were great there. And and when Richard asked me um, to write with him, I was thrilled because I um, I had re or I was retiring at the time. And I thought I'll be able to devote the time that I need towards something that I also love to do. And my 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 students are kind of getting their wishes now because I'm actually writing like they wanted me to do. And then also Richard had asked me, which I was totally honored because he's he's such a good writer. He's written books, he's done films. And so he was kind of like the nudge that I needed and somebody to kind of walk with me through it. Cause he's kind of like my mentor as we go through it as well. And 
I hope I can bring as much to the plate as he does when we're working. I hope I can be a great asset, but we're thrilled about the book coming out. Um, it's just like a dream come true. And we're working, we're working on books two and three also, because it's going to be a series. Nice. So that's, that's really awesome. I'm excited yeah. to get my own copy. I can imagine um sitting with my son and reading that to him while he goes to sleep. I already have plans to do it. So oh, you can, cool. how, old, how old is your son, Etrell? He's three years old. He's three. Oh, cool. Yeah, so I, That's so cool. He, I bet. Yeah. And I know he loves dinosaurs, so I know he'll love uh, Champ. Um, I'm oh, definitely going to try to incorporate wow. that into me and his relationship. Discover renewed strength in faith with Saved But Struggle, Well But Wounded by Eric Joseph. This insightful guide for devout Christians unveils biblical support for seeking godly counseling tackles mental health stigmas, and emphasizes the divine intervention of professional Christian counseling. Buy your copy on Amazon today and overcome life's trials with faith and guidance. Unlock financial security with ever-pure precious metals. Invest wisely in gold, silver, and platinum, expertly sourced and of highest quality. Whether you're a first-time buyer or a seasoned stacker, they guide you through the market. Adorn yourself with timeless elegance. Subscribe now for exclusive details. Your future awaits. Visit epreciousmetals.com. That is epreciousmetals.com. Um, but I awesome. noticed from Thank the surface, you. from the surface, it seems very um, like, <laughs> you know, sparkles and, and, and it is wholesome and, and cheery. But I've noticed that this story tackles some really serious issues. Um, uh, would you be able to explain how, how you're able to do that and how you incorporated things such as uh, mental health challenges or depression and anxiety within this story? Well, I can answer that and I'll let you answer, Kelly. Um, well, when I was a little boy, um, you know, I had my mental health challenges and, and um, my father was... Um, very gifted uh, jazz guitarist, but he was in and out of mental hospitals, uh, diagnosed uh, bipolar disorder. And I went through a lot as a boy, the oldest of five children, dealing with this, a lot of um, anxieties. I had what was called night terrors, which are nightmares, but more real, where you wake up and like you would see the demonic stuff. And it was, I was under a lot of spiritual warfare. And there was a pastor in my hometown of Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, who who was a ordained pastor named Fred Rogers. And to graduate seminary, he had to do what was called a Christian service project. So he wanted to do a children's ministry and he started a show on the local PBS station called Mr. Rogers Neighborhood. And he's now known all over the world. But at that time he started, it was just a local thing in my hometown. And my dad had helped with some of the music in the early days. And then um, Fred Rogers got a jazz pianist who became the main music person, uh, John Costa. But, but anyways, as a little boy, he would come on that TV set and he would talk like Christ's love through, look right in the camera and say, did you know how much you are loved and special and unique? And he would say things like this. And I remember as a little boy i mean just a really little shaver just soaking this in like a sponge he would just look there into the you know into the camera like he was talking right to me you know and so um he said a lot of nurturing loving things he tried to show christ's love in a way that was not real religious like quite frankly i did not even know that he was a minister i was just flipping the dial and something there's so much love coming out of him and his son, uh, who was a real, his boys were real sweet kids. I remember his boys, because I used to go to the set in the land of make-believe when I was a little kid, got to see the, you know, Mr. Rogers neighborhood. And his boys were real nice. They were about my age. And his boys, uh, when, you know, they were asked, what's it like to have him for a dad? They said, it's kind of like being raised by Jesus. Because <laughs> <laughs> he was like so unconditionally loving, you know. What the best, that's the best compliment. <laughs> yeah, yeah, isn't that, isn't that awesome? He said, it's like being raised by Jesus, you know, he's so loving. But um, 
like for me, like, even though I study the Bible on an adult level, I'm real into, you know, study, um, you know, like Timothy says, study to show thyself approved unto God, rightly divine word of truth. So I study a lot on a kind of adult level, you know, um, but I have to say that it, and when it comes to my faith and, and Jesus, I feel very, very childlike. Um, you know, like if I pray for healing for somebody or I, I come to a faith type situation, I become like a little boy, a very childlike faith. So I got these duality of these two hats. I got my adult side where like I have uh, theologian type friends that like to discuss theology with me because I read, read a lot. But when it comes to just like, oh, someone's hurting and needs a healing or deliverance, I become like just like a little boy, very childlike. So I think I'm pretty good at relating to kids. And I've always loved kids. Um, but I think, Kelly, you're probably the real expert in the writing team in terms of how to address these issues with children as a teacher. So I should pass the ball to you. Well, thank you for that compliment. I know that working as a teacher in the classroom for so many years, you have kids coming from all different types of situations. And so I saw some of the pain that some of these kids were going through. And yes, we had counselors at my school also to assist. And we had counseling where the counselor would come into our classrooms and talk to the class as a whole. But some kids, you know, they deal with the loss of a father. They deal with the loss of a mother or other loved ones. They deal with divorce. Um, they they deal with having to live with somebody else. Some of them are in foster care. Some of them deal with anxiety, test anxiety, you know, things that are very difficult for even adults to handle. And, and, you know, some of them deal with bullies. I know in my classroom, I tried to always make sure that I watch them carefully, but you know, things are going to happen when you have a classroom of 20 to 30 kids. Sometimes just depending on the years, you've got a lot of kids and I didn't, I didn't have like an assistant with me. So I'm the only one. And watching over the kids. And sometimes, you know, bill of bullying would take place and the kids would come to me and tell me if it was something that I hadn't seen or something that I did see, I would, I would try to address it. And I'd always, it was challenging because you have to think on the spot for every situation that happens in a classroom every day. But uh, I always tried to make the best decision to help the students the best way I could in a loving way, as if they were my own students or my own children even. I don't have children of my own, but I always considered my students, my kids. Um, I wanted them, I wanted to treat them as if they were my very own. And so it's a very delicate area because some of these problems that some of the kids are carrying are very heavy. And, you know, I've been through a lot of my own struggles. And so I can relate to uh, the kids' pain that they go through sometimes. So being loving and um, caring for them is something that they need because some of them maybe may not have a parent around like I did growing up and um, it must be really hard. And so in our story, you know, Lucy deals with a lot of stuff. She's lost a father. She's lost a mother. She deals with bullies at school. She has anxiety sometimes. Sometimes she has uh, difficult dreams that so she wakes up in the night. And so all these things are things that children really go through and adults. So you know, we did write it um, for children, but we've had so many people contact us and about, you know, this just doesn't seem like it's just for children. It applies for many ages, even adults. We've had adults say we can't wait to see what's going to happen in the next book. And so it, we just think, you know, there's so much going on nowadays with mental health problems. And you hear about these tragedies all the time, things that are going on and things that happen in schools that you know, even the shootings and all that kind of stuff that, you know, it just didn't happen when I was a kid. You know, it just seems like it was just a safe place to go. And you want kids to feel safe. You want them to feel like school is a safe place and their homes are a safe place and all that. And and so we wanted to make sure that we address these kind of issues because whoever reads this book, there's going to be people reading it who are going through some of the same issues that maybe Lucy or even Papa. Papa's going in the movie um her grandfather papa jerry and richard plays papa jerry you know he's going through things too because he's already raised children or his his daughter and now he's having to start all over again and there's a lot of people in the world who are going through that and so he doesn't know if he's he doesn't know if he's 
capable, you know, at his age. And he just feels kind of insecure at it sometimes, too, and doesn't know if he always makes the right choices. Well, he he tries to always make right choices, but he wants to know he wants to make sure they're always the best ones to help his granddaughter through what she's going through as well. And it's just really important nowadays because a lot of people are struggling out there. So anyways, that our book can help people. We hope and pray that that what we've written or what we are writing, you know, will be able to be beneficial to people, even generations to come. Because our book, they might sit on somebody's shelf. They might be past their families or down. It might be on a shelf in somebody's bedroom, you know, years from now. And they might pick it up and it might be able to help them. And we hope and pray that that's the case. Would you Amen. be able to expound on those benefits? Um, the takeaways that you want the readers to gain from it um, specifically. Um, I, I know the important need to be able to get away from anxiety and, and, and depression and, and find um, Jesus, <laughs> no, to find the, um, the will to continue um, to separate ourselves from, from the situations and the circumstances and the feelings and, and, and have that joy, but how do you um, want people to gain those takeaways from the adventures that Lucy and Papa go through? Well, um, I guess I could go, and then I, then you could answer if you'd like, Kelly. Um, there's three three main things that like takeaways. I hope kids will get. I'd say first is that it's okay to be different because a lot of times peer pressure tries to force kids that you have to do what the crowd is doing. You know. And um, I remember uh, my mother saying, if the crowd all runs and jumps off a cliff, are you going to jump off a cliff? In other words, like you don't have to follow. You can be different. You can be a leader. You know, I have a saying, leaders are readers. And so we hope the kids that read the book realize it's okay to be different from the crowd, you know. Um, So that's number one. Number two is to be inner directed like Lucy in her heart wants to go on this adventure with her papa, her grandfather, to look for Champ. But kids tease her, bully her, say that's stupid, he's not real. But like the Bible, Jesus says in Luke 17, 21, the kingdom of God is within you. And sometimes we get ideas in our heart and our spirit that other people may not agree with. You know, like if you have a calling, like you're, you're calling, um, you may feel like Etro when you share your calling, that there may be people family, friends, you know, that may not totally agree with what you're doing, for example, just hypothetically. But sometimes we have to follow the path that we feel inside. Um, You know, Proverbs 20 and verse 27 says, the spirit of a man is the candle of the Lord. In other words, in your spirit, you'll have a burning desire to do something. And that is God working in us to direct us from inside, because it says in uh, Philippians 2.13, God works in you to desire his will. And like all other kind of primitive religions with more external and outer directed, like they'd worship the sun. Like in Egypt, they called the sun god Ra, or they worship these external pantheon of all these gods, you know, the ancient Greek and Roman gods. But Jesus said he brought us in a new covenant where the Holy Spirit's inside us. And so we want to encourage kids to instead of just following the crowd to be directed from inside what the Lord guides them to do and and go on these adventures. I have an acronym for FAITH, F-A-I-T-H, that stands for Fantastic Adventures in Trusting Him. And so when we follow those inner guidance, um, that's really a powerful adventure. But then thirdly, the third thing is faith. Uh, Towards the end of the book, Papa shares with Lucy, Mark 9, 23, which said, if thou canst believe, all things are possible to him that believeth. And so, like, we want kids to believe. And this is really true. I found this in the arts, for example. Like, I've known a lot of artists that are pretty famous and well-known. And a lot of the artists I've known that became well-known a lot of times along their path people don't know the struggle they went through and how everybody thought they were crazy but they had so much faith to put out their music or to to do what they were doing even though people scoffed and said oh they they had that vision 
you know, that their music would get out there and reach people. And so we hope to encourage kids' faith because sometimes they're getting, as Kelly said a moment ago, negative messages that can be discouraging. So we want to encourage them. If thou canst believe, all things are possible to the one who believes. So that's my take on it. Yeah, and I want to just, that's very good, Richard. Um, I appreciate those words, but I also i also think, too, the, one of the points that I'd like people to see that you never have to go through anything alone. There are people there to help you. It may not seem like it sometimes because I personally have been in situations where I just felt so alone, like where I just felt like um, nobody would understand, but I knew God was right there with me in it. And, and that's what gave me peace inside. But, you know, there are, there are people in our family sometimes that are there for us to help us through. Like in your case, in the movie, Papa was there for Lucy and he would try to in the best way possible through prayer and through, through wisdom that he's had over the years to lead and guide her. But she also has a school teacher and kids seem to know that they have loving school teachers as well that want the best for them. And by and, the way, forgive me for interrupting, but Kelly, who has been a teacher for 32 years, plays the school teacher in the movie. So she had 32 years of preparation to play this role. <laughs> Who could be better? It's the first time, I, first time I acted since high school. <laughs> I'm, I'm sure but you I had, did great. I had a fun time doing it. And so, you know, Lucy, Lucy knows that she can trust her teacher too. And I wanted it that way in my classroom. And we had a really neat, neat thing in our school. We had great, great counselors, um, Shout out to Nor Lori Nelson, who I worked with for years and years and years. She was always good. And there's been other other um, counselors along the way that just love the kids, too. And they used to have a box. They used to have a box because some kids, things are going on maybe that nobody knows about at school. They may be bullied and it might be like a something that they're holding in. But um, at our school, we had a bully box. And like, if they didn't want to go tell the teacher because they were afraid they were going to be called a snitch or something like that, you know, they can write it down on a note privately. And then they could drop it in the bully box as they pass by the counselor's office. Or, you know, I've had students before to even put it on my desk. They just walk by and put it there nonchalantly and discreetly, you know, so nobody else would see. And so I would see it and I would take care of the problem there because for whatever reasons, they just felt more comfortable doing it that way. Kelly, but, I was just curious when they write a note in the bully box, they obviously would have to name the bully, but do they say who they're bullying or, or are they afraid of being uh, the, the snitch? Do they just say in general, this person's a bully or. They had to be very clear oh. on what, were, because it would be dealt with. The counselors would call these kids in and they would talk to them and they would get to the bottom of what happened. And then whatever consequences would happen from there, maybe a parent would be called in. Or sometimes it was dealt with at school um, before a parent would have to be called or if just depending on the offense. But but yeah, they were they were pretty clear about what I, there were directions to the counselor had told the kids that there were certain um, directions to make sure you do this and this and this on your slip when you put it in so we can make sure it's taken care of. And I thought it was really nice because it, it, may, it was another way of making the kids feel safe so they didn't have to hold it all in. Because when you hold it all in, you know, have all these feelings and they don't know how to deal with it. And so um, getting it out in the open and in positive ways and getting the help that they need is really important. Because I think that sometimes kids aren't able to, they might have the feelings that they have inside and they sometimes maybe they're quenched or or maybe somebody might say, I don't have time for that right now. And they they just, they don't feel like what they have to say is important. So they hold it in and therefore they have this thing brewing within them and it might come out in a negative way down the road. And so I think it's important mm. that, um, and, and, you know, a lot of people, they have their churches too. They have um, Sunday school teachers. They have people, pastors at their church. And they have, you know, all kinds of people that are willing to help. But um, they need to know that they can trust those people. And the influence of this book is going to be so good. Because I, I firmly believe that those little issues uh, among children grow into adult issues. So mm. I can see how this book will heal so much from maybe even in the lives of the parents that are reading them to their children. 
you know, it's, yeah. it's going to be good. It's going to be good. I'm yeah. so excited. Um, it, always, it always sat in my heart in the classroom when, when like somebody would come to school wearing something new or had a new pair of tennis shoes or something. And then there were, I, and a couple, not very often, but there were a couple cases where um, kids were made fun of because they didn't have. Mm-hmm. And oh my heart, I was, it made me angry because I was like, you're not going to do that. <laughs> you know, you cannot treat somebody badly because of what they don't have. Those kids, mm. it, it was just really sad to me it didn't very often. And I taught at different schools, but every once in a while you would see that. And I would try to like Barney Fife would say on the old Andy Griffith show, nip it, nip it in the bud. <laughs> mm. So I'd try to make sure that that didn't happen again. And because it just broke my heart. Yeah. the pain that that caused that's something that they're going to remember all their lives and i just don't want i want them to have happy memories not these kind of discouraging ones that are so painful yeah and that's the heart of god is it says in the book of james that this type of behavior goes like that was you know e Charles said a moment ago these issues also go into adulthood like the book of james said that there was a church in which the rich man was brought up to the front and they fawned over him so mr big bucks walks in and they're like all everyone's all nice but then there's a poor disadvantaged person and it said the church put him away in the back and didn't give them the same love you know and and then the, the bible says in james how you have missed the spirit you you know true religion is you you show love to the orphans to the widows you know lucy's an orphan in our story um, the little girl that plays her, uh, Emma Pearson, um, she, uh, is an orphan and that's why my character, um, I guess this is me here. I'm Papa has to take care of her, but the Bible says that, you know, in terms of, you know, we have a culture of celebrity, you know, where people fawn over certain celebrities, but the word celebrity comes from the word celebrate. And James says, God celebrates every person he creates in his image. And he wants us to be the type of people that are nice and loving and kind to everyone and not showing partiality. And and like these kids are, are bullying some kid that doesn't have the most expensive sneakers or 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 designer, you know, labels on their clothes. That goes in, like you said, it goes into adulthood, as E. Trill said, because even in the church of God, it said this stuff was going on. Amen. It- Big facts. I mean, everything's so true. Um, I love you two. <laughs> y'all are <laughs> y'all are a great team. I tell you what, I'm so excited to get this book. I love the book already. Um, can you <laughs> tell you. me more though about your creative process? How you guys were able to come together and develop the story and the characters? Yeah, maybe you could tell them about how we zoomed, um, Kelly, because. As you, even with this meeting right now, I'm in uh, California, Los Angeles, and Kelly's in New York. So you want to tell them how we Zoomed in order to write it since we had 3,000 miles distance? You basically just said it. <laughs> it was challenging at times because he's in California, and I was either in New York or South Carolina. And so everything was basically long distance. And so we spent a long time... Uh, Richard would come up with ideas and all, and we would actually role play. Like since I was in the classroom for so long, I kind of can think like a fourth grader and can act like a fourth grader or mimic. And so we would do role plays together where he would give me a certain situation and I would talk like I would know my students to talk. So, um, and he would just take notes or he would record me. Remember you would record me and Mm -hmm. And so he got a lot of ideas that way and and the writing or we got a lot of ideas that way because I would just I mean, I would just go on and on kind of like like I am right now. (laughs) I don't have a problem talking. (laughs) It's perfect. Anyways, we did a lot of role playing and um, and it was funny when when we got it all written, when we came. Well, I'd say came together. We were doing it long distance. But when it came time to editing it was funny because I was a teacher all those years and I taught writing and I I taught the writing process to my students and all. And then Richard, uh, one point we, we were going through the book editing and he came and he's like, okay, I've got all my edits written down so we can go over them together. He said, do you have yours done? I said, yes. He said, well, 
I said, how long yours? And I think he said, he's got three pages. And he's, he asked me how many I had. He asked me how many pages of edits and I had like 20. Yeah. <laughs> and so we had to go through each thing and it was struggling. It was hard for me sometimes because I'm, I'm used to like doing it a certain way, but we had to remember when we were editing this, that this was a little, uh, Lucy was only like in the third grade. And so we had to write like the kids would talk, you know what I mean? And sometimes it might not have a period right here or a <laughs> because of just the way the writing was or the way they would have spoken it. Is and that, so that was hard for me because I always wanted to cross every T and daughter. <laughs> is that Gen it, Z? Pardon me. I said, is yeah. that Gen Z? Yeah. They yeah, it a, is. They have a very interesting way of communicating. Yeah, because they're <laughs> used to texting. And um, so I tended to sometimes want to write the way people talk. But and that, I had to learn that. Like he had to, and we worked so well together. Like if if we disagreed on something, we would talk it over and I would I'd see, oh, I I get it. And then sometimes like he would start us, he would start a sentence with and and I'm like, you can't start a sentence with but yeah, it was a learning process and he a was fun used to process. a teacher having certain grammatical rules which were great she improved that greatly with all these edits but there were times when i have to say <laughs> but kelly that's how it sounds when they talk it might not fit the grammar rules but that's kind of more how they talk people talking in complete sentences mm -hmm. yeah and sometimes when we would get we would go down and we'd go to the next edit to correct he says i already know i can't start the sentence with am <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. Um, so the book is described as a soon-to-be featured film. Um, when should we be expecting something like that? Or can you tell us more about your spans, your plans of expanding uh, Lucy's adventures beyond the book format? Yes, yes. We want the film's coming out this year. Um, we're working really hard, doing our best to finish the post-production editing which right now we're working on audio and also video special effects of Champ, which is really exciting because a modeler creates Champ and you animate it. And um, that's going on right now, which when we speak at schools we've and, and read the book and, and the children often after we speak or read some of the book or sometimes I play a little song from the movie on my guitar and they always ask, what's Champ going to look like? And we want to see Champ. And so like right now, what we're doing with the special effects to put Champ into the film, it's it's taken long. And like people are really excited about when's it coming out, which we're really grateful people are that excited. Sometimes it's a little hard to pinpoint exact timing because there's others working now, like a special effects person working and uh, and named Karash and editor Colin and they're doing their best um but when it comes out this year um I'd like to do some live events because when I was a little boy and we talked about this at the beginning how movies would come to the local theater where I grew up in Pittsburgh Pennsylvania there was a North Hills movie theater and they would have like a different new back this was before I know I sound like a dinosaur but myself I sound like a old as old as camp but back then we didn't have like vhs dvd streaming so movies every so many years would come to the theater the same movie like wizard of oz would would show on tv every thanksgiving and we would all be on the floor all us kids oh, wizard of oz is on but now like people just stream it right yeah but um back then it was like a huge event and I was thinking it'd be nice to give that excitement back to children seeing a movie and I want to do like create a really great live exhibition of the film for kids in you know like a tour in different cities where we bring some of the cast like I, I think it'd be really cool as a kid you're in the theater and you're kind of scared of the villains all of a sudden you see in the theater the villains are kind of creeping around the same actors peeking out like and like maybe some of the songs like like there's a theme song of the film I can just play a moment here um but the, there's a song that goes something like uh, Lake Lady, we're on our boat on the sea. Just you, Chan, and me. 
So like, I was thinking it'd be kind of cool to bring like the band and the musicians and actually perform some of the songs for the kids live, you know, like make it a real exciting event, a big bucket of popcorn. And, and then like, maybe like the tickets or whatever seat they're in, we do like a raffle, like as kids maybe win something like champ doll or, you know, different prizes, you know, and like restore that excitement, you know, to kids when it comes out this year, later this year of, wow, you know, I got to go to this movie and I saw, I'm hoping maybe, um, you know, Emma and can come to our leading lady and, mm -hmm. you know, and people can, kids can meet like this little girl that's the main character, like things like that to make it something they'll never forget. Like when I was a little boy, there was this movie and I guess maybe some people now might think it's a little campy or dumb or something. But when I was a little boy, there was a movie about this car, a VW, which I love the VW vans and VW old bugs. And it was called Herbie the Love Bug. And this uh, little uh, VW car would come alive and do crazy stuff, you know, like he would like a little female car and start chasing her or uh, he, you know, attack the bad guys. Or, you know, if there's a villain, he would like leak oil on the villain's shoe. Like yeah. he was kind of had a personality, you know. And I remember as a little boy, Herbie the Love Bug was coming to the theater in my neighborhood. And I went to it. And I was like, Herbie's here. And it, what they got, they just got like a white, a little, a little white VW car that looked like Herbie. And, they, and it was number 53. And they got like 50, 53 decal and, and stuck that on the uh, door. And, they, and Herbie had like a red, white, blue stripe on the hood. And they put the, they basically just got like a, a VW bug and put the Herbie decals on it. But they had it sitting right outside the theater. But to a little kid, when you're like seven or something, it's like, Herbie's here. <laughs> you know, it was yeah. so exciting. You get pictures next to it. Yeah. So I was thinking like talk to it. See, we'll talk back yeah, to you. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, you know, I was like, hi, Herbie. You know, you know, so I'd like to kind of have some events too to give kids that excitement about a movie again, you know? It's yeah. A, it's a great idea. It's a great idea. You might find me outside of one too. <laughs> <laughs> We're coming to Texas, baby. Hey man. I, <laughs> I uh I'll lay the carpet. All right. <laughs> lay the carpet. Just you let can me host and in. interview us when we we could do a question and answer time about the movie after the screening. You could be the host. I'm here for it. <laughs> I'm here for it. I'd be so excited. Um, so this book describes the um, okay. What sets this book apart from other titles that have maybe out there or um, other books in with this genre? Richard oh, and I wrote it. <laughs> What's that? Richard and I wrote it together. <laughs> well, one thing is, I think, and you could expand if you want, Kelly, but I think we we really respect kids. Like, we don't talk down to them. Like, you know, a lot of people think kids are dumb or they're not as sharp as, as adults. But I believe Jesus shows us a different way. Like, when they, the disciples tried to shoo away the children, from Jesus. Oh, he's mm -hmm. too important. Get away, kids. Don't bother the master, right? And Jesus says, unless you become as this little child, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. Like he really lifts them up, you know? And I find kids are absolutely brilliant. Like we were speaking at a school in Vermont and they lined up and asked questions. And this was the same in South Carolina at your class as well, Kelly, but these these children's questions about the book were brilliant. I was like, whoa, you know, like they would remember things in the book. I forgot, even though I was a co-writer on the book, they would bring up, oh, on page 97, when Lucy says, blah, blah, blah. And I'd be like, hmm, I forgot about that. Like, they're so sharp, you know? Yeah, they were doing a lot of speculating, too. Wondering yeah, what like they were even it. saying, hey, you ought to write a sequel and have this, this, this happen. I was like, oh, that's brilliant, man. I got to remember that, you know. Um, so like kids, I think, often are not given enough credit. So one thing that makes our books different, I feel, is it's actually like a, a novel. It's a short novel, but it's not like just like a picture book or something. There's nothing wrong with picture books or graphic novels. In fact, I'd like to do a graphic novel version of this, but it's like. I think we respect the kids and, you know, it's an actual novel. It's 
it's not like when I was a kid, they had these real simple books to learn to read. And it was like Dick and Jane run. Jane has spot the dog, spot the dog. <laughs> like like it, it gets into real nitty gritty detail more than what kids books do. Um, but when I was little, there was these books I got into and they were like like our book in the sense of they were they weren't just a few pages. They were like a little kind of novel. And it was a series um, called Hardy Boys about these boys that solve crimes. But I remember as a kid, like, I went to this Catholic school. And I remember the nuns at first were like, you want to read this book? And I would open up the book and be like, Dick sees Jane. Dick and Jane run. And, I, and I'd be like, oh, this is boring, man. <laughs> you know? And then I like went in the library and I saw these Hardy Boy books, you know, where where you know joe and frank hardy you know and it says and they went in the cave where the smugglers were and they saw that the smugglers had a gun and they snuck in you know and it was like they were getting into some serious danger you know (laughs) yeah they got it going on yeah um anyway lastly what advice would you give aspiring authors um especially interested in writing for ch- children books or tackling uh, sensitive topics. You want to go Kelly and I could, I could maybe add to it. Well, it's interesting because I've had several students and some teacher friends contact me and like they want to write. And so they were asking me my suggestions and I would say, just start, you know, even if it's a little bit every day, just write your thoughts down, write your thoughts down on note cards or put it in your phone or just Hey, even if it, uh, Richard, I know you're going to probably say this five minutes a day. Oh, <laughs> go ahead. No, you five, say that. Yeah. If it's just five minutes a day, just taking time and doing it because like me, I had all those years I did, or I did write short stories for my students, like one page or so to show them how to do a personal narrative or something. And so I have some of those even like, but as, as samples, because I did it for my classroom, but like, for doing it something like this just sit down even if it's five minutes a day and just add to it mm-hmm. because sometimes we tend to put things on a back burner and we never get to it and that was my case with this sort of thing it's like something that I always wanted to do but I never did it because I was just caught up in the busyness of everything but if you just set aside at least five minutes isn't a lot of time but sometimes when you start writing and it goes past five minutes and it's a little bit more and so um you get more done than you thought you would. And then you have something started and you want to continue on it. It's encouraging once you start because it's kind of like the motivation that gets you kicked into gear to move forward. Yes, I would um, just add um, the three things I would say to writers, aspiring writers is number one, as Kelly said, you learn to write by writing. And um, the saying I, I often quote is five alive. In other words, even five minutes a day keeps your vision alive. And and so the psalmist wrote in Psalm 45, verse one, your tongue is the pen of a ready writer. In other words, you you have it within you. You know, uh, it's interesting. It says the tongue is the pen of a ready writer because some people like it feels like work to write. Well, you can even get like speechtexture.com or something where you can even talk your ideas out and it'll put it into words for you and uh, you can edit it later. So that's one way. You can even, there's a lot of different ways. You know, we did it by acting out scenarios. Like I'd say, okay, I'm the grandpa and you're going to be little Lucy Kelly. And we would just literally play and do a Zoom meeting like this and it'd be all recorded. Like we'd, we'd ad lib, like we were talking about going out on our boat. And and um, so number one, you learn to write by writing. I'd say number two is to please you. Don't worry about pleasing man all the time. Right. Like, like Galatians 1.10 said, if I worry about pleasing man, I cannot serve my divine destiny. That's a powerful verse. I've never heard anyone really preach on it. But to me, when I saw that verse, it was like, wow, that's so true. Because a lot of people will say about writing. And again, I'm not judging these people because I'm on the witness stand, not the judgment seat. I just want to witness to God's love and healing power. But I meet a lot of people that are like, oh, what's the hot thing? What is getting all the hits on the Internet? What is the popular thing everyone's into? And so they'll try to cater their writing their music their message to um strictly follow fads and a lot of christians i found follow fads 
you know, um, I've seen that over and over again. Like we had a church out here in LA that was like a big fad, you know, and certain pop stars would go there and all these people. And I went there and uh, my discernment, Corinthians talks about discernment, was that something was really toxic and off there. And I said, it's not a safe place. And lo and behold, it came out the founding founding pastor was a predator on children and on young boys. And there were all this bad stuff there. But everyone was just rushing down there without even discerning and praying, like, does God want us there? So it's real important to not just follow what is the fad and please man. But I always say, you know, please you in the sense of writing what God's put on your heart. And if that's not the fad or what what people may be into at the moment, the greatest artists and writers were the, what I call, I, I have a message I gave one time was like, be an innovator, not an imitator. Like a lot of times I found, and I, I don't want to be, uh, sound like I'm the big critic of all these other Christians, but, you know, Jesus did overturn the tables and got angry in the temple when people were, you know, the money changers were exploiting the people and I find a lot of times Christians are going for, oh, what's the popular thing that'll sell? And they're not innovators, they're imitators. So they'll find something popular in the world and just imitate it and put a cross on it and make Christian words. But then the world hears it and it's like, this is just a crappy version of, you know, this popular pop singer. But the pop singers in the world are being much more creative and innovative. And if we're in touch with a creator, think about it like God is the creator. And another word for creator is artist. And so we're created in his image. If we're in touch with the creator, our imagination, our creativity can soar and we can be unique. So I tell writers, you know, don't, don't worry about, is this good or will anyone like it? Just really write from your heart, what you have in your heart. So that'd be number two is, please you. Number one, learn to write by writing to please you. And just one last thing, number three, is to find a friend or someone that's supportive. It could be a writer's group online. Like there's some wonderful writer's groups online. I've been a part of some of those where we've even met up at a bookstore here locally and we read our writing to each other. But, you know, Kelly and I as friends for 40 years can, you know, work together and you may have a friend I have another friend since high school and we were writing partners. He was the star of our basketball and football team in high school. And then he had a bad accident and ended up paralyzed and we were buddies. I actually took care of him uh, for a couple of years, uh, like, you know, as like a nurse and uh, we became real close friends and brothers. And we wrote uh, hundreds of songs together and we perform in schools, churches, things like that. And and he was a real good writer. I've he's since passed away, but like so that his name was John. So I've had friends like John Walker and Kelly who we've been able to co-write, you know, and collaborate. So I would say find someone that's encouraging. Stay away from wet blankets who discourage you and who speak negativity. And find those friends that are like cheerleaders that encourage your creativity. Um, artists can get discouraged. I even wrote a book of years ago. Um, uh, create your life to just just a kind of like devotions for artists because we need to encourage one we might need to number one i'd say the two purposes that god wants for all of us number one is take your talents and make something with it because it says in matthew 25 that that he gave each one talents as a gift then what we do with those talents is our gift back so so number one is like use our talents but number two is encourage others in their talents you know, I I always try to find what is the talent and vision in each person and encourage them. Because too often the church is like the church uses people to build the church instead of using the church to build up people. Like, for example, they'll say, oh, come in our church and we'll plug you in so you can help us in our vision for the church, expand this church. And we'll plug you into what we need. But actually, that's a bit backwards. I think what the Holy Spirit would rather have us do is what's the calling in you? We want to discern what are your talents and gifts and passions and support you. Because if everybody in the body of Christ does their part, their calling, said so the hand is different from the foot and the, you know, the ear is different from the eye, you know. So so we need to encourage people. And that's what that third point I said is like find friends 
and people that will encourage and build you up to do it and to go for it. Nice. Um, so with people, I'm, I'm sure everyone that's listened to this is so interested in getting this book. Uh, could you tell the audience where they can go and get their copy? Oh, sure. Yeah, it's um, Lucy and the Lake Monster. I got the paperback and hard copy here. It's on um, Amazon, Barnes and Noble. There's a site up where Champ lives in New York called, I think it's called homeofchamp.com. Walmart ha um, online. Um, I think I might be forgetting one, but um, our website is lucyandthelakemonster.com and we're on Instagram also uh, and Twitter at Champ Movie HQ. HQ stands for headquarters, Champ Movie HQ. We're on Facebook.com at Champ Movie. But uh, most people, I think, go to Amazon or Barnes and Noble, I think, probably. Nice. Yes, it's even in local in libraries now. Like if your library doesn't have it, you can request it at a library too because it's in the library systems. Yeah, there's the a world. there's a catalog for libraries called Ingram Spark and Baker. There's a few of these library catalogs that have it, so librarians can order it. I like for libraries to have it because we talked about the poor earlier, and there were times when I was a boy where we had money for books, and there were times we didn't. And um, there's scholastic books, uh, as Kelly knows, as a teacher, where kids could order books. And then the scholastic orders would come in and kids would get books. And we had five kids and some up and downs, like I mentioned at the outset with my my dad's uh, battled mental illness. And there are times like I was that kid that was kind of shamed of not, you know, where I could be shamed for not having this or that, you know, expensive thing. And there were times when the other kids had money for books and I didn't. And there were times I did. My mom did have a couple bucks. Hey, get order a book. And so I remember feeling so bad when the book orders came in and the other kids had got their books in from the scholastic order and the teacher would distribute them. And I'd be sitting there, no book, you know? Yeah. So um, I really, really wanted to be in a lot of libraries. I, I don't want a child to ever ever feel like oh i don't have the money to get this book you know like in fact if anyone listening if 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 you don't have the money to buy it you know um kelly probably think i give away kelly has said sometimes i give away a little bit too much <laughs> <laughs> but i but she's good at being very practical but i actually feel like hey if you're out there and you you or your kid can't afford the book or something you know i don't know what it is it's probably about 10.99 i think maybe the paperback but if you don't have it or something, um, contact, you know, I'm, I'd be happy to send one to anyone out there. I know I get yelled at a lot. Not, not, not I'm not saying you yelled at me, Kelly, but <laughs> I have been throughout my life. People say I, uh, I should be more business savvy. You know, I've, you know, I've been through a lot where I've been ripped off and things like that by people that distribute things I've done or they don't pay me and things like that. But I guess my heart is, I just really want to reach people. Um, in fact, my last film here on this film, Canaan Land, that I acted in, I have this gold jacket and uh, I play this preacher brother, Billy, who's kind of a con artist who doesn't really know the Lord. He falls in love with this woman who's a sincere Christian and, got, and the Holy Spirit starts dealing with him. But this gold jacket is for sale in all these stores all over the world and they call it the brother billy jacket they have this picture of me you know and they're selling the jacket <laughs> but no one ever asked me like they they make all this money for 150 bucks it says the official rich rossi uh, uh brother billy jacket from the film but <laughs> no one ever you know pays me a penny on it or whatever so a lot of my family and friends are like man they're exploiting your name and image you know and but I guess as artists, you know, sometimes there's a saying that true artists and writers often have their heart broken by the world. But I I really do want to say it is my heart. I care more about the ministry than the money that if someone's listening and they can't afford the book or something, um, you know, contact us through the website or whatever. And, uh, you know, we'll send you a copy of the book. That's amazing. It was a, it's great having you guys. I, I'm so thankful that I got to uh, interview and, and meet both of you. I'm hoping that uh, this is uh, the beginning of a of a long friendship. Um, yes. And and for the audience, this is another episode of My Life Now. It was great having you guys. God bless Thank you. Thank you for all. having us. Thank, Thank you, you so much for having us, Etrill. 
Thank you for listening and supporting another episode of My Life Now. Please remember to subscribe to our podcast show and share it with a friend. Together, we can keep the message of these books alive. Until we turn the next page together, stay classy.